Access more. It's about time because we're going there. Surprise, surprise, friends. Yes, the season has ended. However, you know I love a good bonus episode. And because I care about your mind and your emotional health, we're giving you two back-to-back episodes, part one, part two, because many of us are dealing with some mind issues. Like that song says, my mind is playing tricks on me. Yes. So these two episodes were actually pulled from a series that we did at the Father's House, Orange County, called Mind Games. Part one and part two will be posted here, week one and week two. But for the entire full four-week series, you can go to YouTube and check out the Father's House, Orange County, for both episodes. Well, welcome. Welcome to a series that we are in. This is week three. Somebody say three. Week three of a series we've entitled Mind Games. Somebody say Mind Games. Because how many know that the enemy is coming at us and playing tricks on our mind? Now, I know know what the Word of God says. We are told in the book of James to come before the brethren. We confess our trespasses amongst the brethren. He is faithful and just to forgive us. So I need to confess. I have an inordinate love for, like, competitive shows based on a battle of will and survival. All right, I confess it to you, I'm open about it. I'm not trying to hide it, but I've been like this since I was a kid. Some of you guys are gonna remember this show. It was a show that I loved. It was like a show in the 90s. It was called American Gladiator. How many remember? Yes, yes. I loved American Gladiator and my favorite competition was the gauntlet. Oh, that was the best. And the winner, if you beat the gauntlet, then you would bear the title of Gladiator. Oh, it was amazing. Now we have like a knockoff version called American Ninja Warrior. And guess what? I watch that too, okay? But anything that's dealing with survival and battle of the will, I'm wildly fascinated over. In fact, not too long ago, uh, Matt and I got into this uh, survival show. The premise of the show is that you are dropped in some forlorn, forgotten backwood country, uh, country area, or maybe even uh, a desert area, maybe a jungle area. And at one point, each of the contestants could bring one item with them. One item. It was a survival. This is what they, they needed to survive their location. More often than not, people would either take a knife or a fishing spear. And on rare occasions, someone would bring a flint to start fire in the backwoods. And, and, and I remember thinking, okay, everyone picks a knife. Everyone picks the spear. That's just what you do in order to survive. And I remember this one particular episode. There was this guy that knew he was being dropped in the middle of nowhere and his one piece of weaponry that he brought with him was duct tape. (laughs) Duct tape, friends, duct tape. So all of a sudden I became a couch consultant, a couch critic. Uh, Some of y'all are couch critics too, where you are shouting at like sporting events saying, I can't believe you dropped the ball. You couldn't do better, okay? (laughs) A couch critic. I was a couch critic that day and I'm like, what a fool. He brought duct tape? This is bananas. He's the first one to go. Well, lo and behold, homeboy made a hut with his duct tape. He forged weaponry with sharp uh, rocks and pieces of wood. Um, And he also actually made a blanket with leaves and duct tape. The man went on not only to last the longest, but to win the competition because of duct tape. Now, this got me thinking, what would I take with me for survival? What would I take with me into battle? It got me also thinking, uh, what do we have at our disposal at all times that we just don't even use because we think it's inefficient? What are the things that we've been sleeping on 
during life's battles. Now, do you want to know what this tool for survival is? Do you want that one person back there? Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to know what your weapon in battle could be? Well, I'm not going to tell you right now. I'll tell you at the end of service, okay? Because if I tell you right now, you're going to be like, for real, that's what you got? Like, nah, bro, I'll just wait. So I'm going to whet your appetite. I'm going to give you a little amouche-bouche, and it's going to start with the anchor passage of this series. So if you brought your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a couple people moving. I see some notebooks. Brian always brings a paper Bible. Brian, I pray that your family is blessed that you lose 10 pounds to the glory of God, that there is gas in your tank, that your house is clean, uh, that Carter obeys as a good kid. And the reason why Brian gets blessings every week because he brings his Bible, all right? All right, and if you didn't have one, it's all good. No shade, we put the scripture on the screen. But I firmly believe that as students of God's word, we get to hold the sword. So if you have a notebook or notepad, go ahead and pull it out because we're gonna jot down some important handles to help us win the battle over our mind. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it begins with this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. (laughs) The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, forgive me if I am aggressive, but listen, Paul's language is aggressive. Paul's language is militant. War and battle and weaponry. See, Paul knew something that he wants to make us very aware of. We're in a battle. Y'all, we're in a battle. And in this series, our heart behind this was that we could teach biblically and scientifically and practically how to wage war on the battlefield of our mind. So in week one, Pastor Matt taught us that what we think about matters. What we think about matters. And he gave us a strategy to break down strongholds. And then if you were with us last week, and if you you haven't been, it's all good. You can catch up. These messages are on YouTube. But in week two, last week, Matt taught us about winning the battle in our mind. In order to do that, we need to overcome negative thinking. We need to put a right filter over our situation. Now, when we were laying out this series and uh, I knew that we were going into this series, I have to admit I had some reservation. I felt a little uh, reticent about talking about this because I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a biblicist, as in like, I like the Bible, right? And so I was kind of hesitant. I was like, I don't want to feel fraudulent. So I'm not coming at this topic as an expert. I'm coming at this topic like a student and a researcher. I went on my own personal journey about seven years ago of personal counseling. And that was because I wanted to kind of unpack some childhood trauma and also learn about the power of the brain. So the title of today's message is Your Tool for Survival. Your Tool for Survival. Do you know that we have a weapon in our arsenal, a tool that we go into battle with that that could change the thinking of our brain? Do you know that this tool is often underutilized? Do you know that this tool, this resource is dispensable at any single moment of the day? Do you know that this tool doesn't just change your faith, but it actually changes your brain? Oh, wow. Now in week three of Mind Games, I wanna ask us this question, what do we know about our mind? What do we know about our mind? 
What are ways that we can conquer our negative thoughts? Now, one of the things that I have been discovering and learning in this journey is that God is a God of science. And what I've discovered is that in our mind, we have a small gift from God called the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is an almond-sized component in our brain, and the amygdala is responsible for fight or flight. When you experience trauma or fear, fight is like, I'm gonna take you on, or flight, I'm gonna run away. The amygdala is the thing that will shout out, you gotta move, run away, be careful, danger's there. It is, will send out doses of adrenaline that um, are released, like if you see a bear, if you smell fire, if there's an accident that's waiting to happen. And God gave us this sweet gift for our protection. The amygdala is for our protection. But the problem is the amygdala is not objective. The amygdala is not objective, meaning that it is hardwired to protect, but it's easily triggered. Now, I know triggered is a word that everyone's using in culture. Like, oh my gosh, that totally triggers me. That totally triggers me. But like literally, the amygdala is triggered in moments of trauma, moments of trauma. So when I was five years old, uh, we lived in this two-bedroom apartment in a low-income area. We had pipe heads and crack heads. There was actually a crack house next door to our apartment, and uh, we lived in a really rough area. And I remember one time after church coming home, and my mom and I were the first ones at the apartment while my dad and other sisters were parking the car, and we got to the door, and it had looked like it had been kicked in. There was actually a shoe mark on the door, and what I now know as an adult had been jarred open. Most likely it was like a crowbar or something like that. My mom cautiously opens the door and we walk into our absolutely disheveled apartment. It was around the holidays and so the Christmas tree was toppled over, all of the presents were gone, the turkey in the freezer was stolen, our house was in complete disarray. Now, if I close my eyes and I think about that moment, I could still feel the fear that I felt then because the body keeps the score. And so, I was so terrified that someone was gonna come back and, and rob us again, that in my mind, I completely built a neural pathway that said, be on guard, be careful, potentially run away. Now, that is our amygdala, and that is a gift from God. However, our amygdala needs a little help with what God had named, or what science has named, your prefrontal cortex. Now, this is the part of the mind that thinks logically. So this is the logical part of our brain. If our amygdala, is panic, the prefrontal cortex is logic. The prefrontal cortex is gonna be the thing that's gonna be like, wait, let's be logical about this situation. So for me, even to this day, if there's an unexpected knock at the door, my amygdala triggers, danger, danger, someone's gonna break in and rob you, you're gonna be the headline of primetime news media, pastor's wife, Slade in Irvine. Like I've already, I've already determined the story, all right? I'm a catastrophizer, bless my heart. So while my amygdala is going crazy, my prefrontal cortex is grabbing my amygdala by its shoulders and saying, calm down, it's the wind, it's the Amazon person, it's your neighbor, nothing's gonna happen. So amygdala is all panic, prefrontal cortex is all logic. The problem with the amygdala is that it always responds according to pre-programming. As in what Pastor Matt had mentioned last week, neural pathways. So what happens is trauma will create neural pathways in our brain and these pathways get paved by repetition. In other words, if you have my experience and you hear the door knock, you're not gonna think, oh, it's safety. You're gonna be on guard. Now, I don't know what it would be in your life. Maybe it is a, an abuse 
or a trauma or a loss or some hurt or some fear, or maybe even a misunderstanding that will cause you to be triggered. And sometimes it could be a scent, it could be a room, it could be a person, and there's people and places and things that will allow anxiety and tension to overwhelm us without even knowing it. Your mind can race and run to the worst case scenario. Your mind can go to places in nanoseconds and you find yourself short of breath. You find yourself panicking. You find maybe your hands are shaking or maybe you are feeling overwhelmed. That's why Paul, hero of this series, I mean, this man is bad. This man is so bad, he's good. And last week during first service, Matt alluded to Paul the Apostle as my Bible boyfriend. And I was like, that's right, he's my Bible boyfriend because I could have a crush on a dead guy. It, test me on this, test me on this. On virtually every sermon that I ever give, I will always mention Paul. Uh, so last week I was visiting this church in Texas and I love Texas. I love Texas because they love Jesus. They all bring their Bibles. And I was like, I'm with my people, this is amazing. And I was talking about my inordinate love of Paul as I was preaching. And then afterwards, there was a sweet woman. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. So she's biblically trained and she comes up to me. She's like, hey girl, hey sis. Isn't it so funny? I heard that you love Paul. Did you know that Paul was a portly fellow? He, he, he's thick and, and, and theologians believe that he had a hook nose. And when he was referring to the thorn in his, in his flesh, he had a secretion. They believed in a secretion in his eye. Oh, he must have looked so ugly. but I'm in the South, so I know how they play. So I put a smile on my face. I said, bless your heart. Because <laughs> in the South, when you bless somebody's heart, you're really saying, you sure are stupid. <laughs> so I was so lovely. I said, oh, really? Are you telling me that Paul the Apostle, one of the most learned men in the entire New Testament, who's from Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, who philosophized with philosophers at the Areopagus, preaching the gospel and bringing revelation to people, that man who endured trial, trauma, and tribulation, yeah, that man who rose up and gave one of the greatest dissertations of all of gospel history has something wrong with his eye. Oh, oh girl, I love it because I just got 50% better. <gasps> Hello, all right? For the single ladies, that's the kind of man you want, all right? Loves Jesus and one eye. There you go, all right? So Paul the Apostle, I mean, that's, that's some truth right there, some great dating advice. Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle says this. In verse three, let's break this down. For though we live in the world, the world, if y'all don't know, we are citizens of humanity of this great earth. We are here on this world. Now, some of y'all came from Washington or, or, or LA or Inland Empire or San Diego or maybe here locally in Orange County. Maybe you are watching online and inquiring minds want to know. Put in the chat box, where are you watching from? If you're watching this on a Tuesday or Friday or Thursday, we want to know where you're watching from because we are in this world. And Paul says, though we are in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is not a concept far from us because right now there are eight global wars going on right now. Uh, we're familiar with the one from Ukraine. Shout out to our team that's going to Poland to help with refugees and assistance out there. We're so proud of you. We love you. We're praying for you. That's a global team, by the way. There's someone from Canada, uh, someone from the East Coast, people from OC. It's beautiful. So we know about the war in Ukraine, but what about the war in Yemen or the war in Ethiopia? There are wars going around right now, but Paul says, oh, no, 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 we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So what are the weapons of the world? 
tanks and guns and armory, in some places knives or shivs. We don't mess with those type of weapons. No, no, no. He says, on the contrary, flip it and reverse it. He says they have divine power, divine power that is supernatural power. That's power not that we have. It's power from on high. We have divine power to demolish strongholds demolish strongholds. We have divine power. The Greek word for power that we see there is a Greek word called dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. Dunamis. We get our English word dynamic, explosive. We get like the TNT version of this. We get heavy, dynamic, explosive power of God to demolish strongholds. I need you to know that. You have that in you. Then he says, we have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? The Greek word for stronghold is akamura. It's like a fortress. Pastor Matt mentioned this on week one. I'm going to give us a little refresher. Akamura is meant to keep prisoners in and keep assistance out, okay? So using the enemy, uh, the devil who is assaulting us, and we are in a battle, he wants to keep us locked in his lies and doesn't want the truth to come to us. Some Bible scholar in here, please tell me, why doesn't the enemy want us to know the truth? Because the truth will set you free. That's right, Brian, because you bring a papal Bible. That's right. (laughs) He does know that. Brian's gonna get so many extra credit points in heaven. That's right, Brian. Because the enemy knows, if you hear the word of God, it will set you free. And he says, we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God? What do we know about God? We know that God is gracious. We know that he is good. We know that he is merciful. We know that he is loving. We know that he is righteous. We know that he is kind. We know that he has power. So what, ha- what is Paul telling us here? That we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive. Somebody say captive. Captive. You said it very Orange County. Captive. (laughs) You say captive. I need you to get angry. That's right, honey. Captive. Now, don't let the high heels, fake eyelashes, and amazing nail game throw you off, okay? Because I think I'm a warrior at heart. I've been boxing since high school. I did kickboxing in college. I I, I love the physical part of it. And just recently, I went to go get my nails done. And next door, there is an MMA jujitsu studio. And because I'm studying what Paul is talking about, I popped in and and was immediately hit with the wafting smell of disgusting body odor. Because you all know if you've ever gone into those jujitsu studios, they smell funky, all right? And I sat down and I saw how they were wrestling and moving their body. And there's this amazing, amazing hold called a rear naked choke hold. I know, I didn't pick the name, okay? But a rear naked choke hold is when you get your opponent by the head, so here's their head here, and then I grab my elbow and I basically choke my opponent out. So when Paul says that we take captive every thought, I need you to get the lie that the enemy is whispering to you, and I need you to choke it out so that it can't breathe, and you can't hear the enemy whispering to you. We take captive in a rear naked chokehold the lies of the enemy. Now, Pastor Matt has been very honest about what he wrestles with and what he thinks about when the enemy whispers lies to him. Well, I started thinking, oh, God, tell on myself in this season. Now, I got lies that I've been listening to since I was a kid. 
But I know that where the enemy attacks me. I, I, I know it. I can hear that lie. But the most recent one is that I will not be healed from my illness. That I will witness other people walk and get their miracle. That I will even pray over and facilitate people walking into health and healing. But I will not get my miracle. So what do I do? I take that lie captive and I have to remind myself that I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, that God loves me from the foundations of the earth, that what God has called me to, he will equip me to. And if this is my thorn in the flesh, it's my thorn in the flesh, but I'm choosing to believe that the God who can heal will heal. And I don't know about what's going on in your life, what fear or trauma or accident or misunderstanding has triggered you, but I'm pretty sure that there's people and places and spaces and scents and visuals that can cause fear and anxiety. Now, we know that we have one of the greatest weapons at our disposal. Do you know that you have one of the greatest weapons at your disposal? Do you want to know what that weapon is? The weapon is prayer. And my fear in telling you that at the beginning is you're gonna be like, really? All of this for prayer? Yes. It's so crazy to me that Christians undervalue and discount the power of prayer. In fact, you've maybe seen it online or have heard about it or even spoken to people in your community about it, where we find ourselves saying things like, well, the only thing left to do is pray. I think God up in heaven is like, I get that you're at the end of yourself, but that's not our last resort. That is the first thing that we must do because I am the God who is more than more than enough. Are you telling me that the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who had manna fall down from heaven to feed his Israelites, that that same God sent his son as a propitiation for our sins, Jesus, and through the hands of Jesus, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the deaf could hear, the dead could live, and that's where we're finally going to be like, well, maybe God can do something about it through the act of prayer. No, 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 no. The author of Hebrews says, let us come bold only before his throne of mercy and grace. James tells us you have not because you ask not. What are you asking God for? We have a weapon of mass destruction in the form of prayer. We got a tool in our armory. Prayer is powerful. Prayer not only moves the heart of God, prayer transforms our brain. Prayer transforms our brain. I'm going to say that again because I, I don't think that we really understand the neuroscience behind this. Prayer touches the heart of God, but prayer transforms the brain. And when you think a thought, it's easier to think that thought again and again because our brain is continually changing. Pastor Matt had mentioned this two weeks ago. It's called neuroplasticity. Our brain isn't a fixed plastic mold. Our brain is nimble. Our brain can pave new pathways. This term is called neuroplasticity and that our brain is constantly changing. Well, in the same way as there's neuroplasticity, there's also a new discipline called neurotheology that is understanding God and the power of our brain, the relationship between our belief system and our brain and research, scientific research is showing that prayer actually changes our brain. Now, I'm a little bit of a, shall I say it? I'm a little bit of suspect sometimes. If somebody makes a claim, I'm the type of person that will go and Google if it's true, read articles about it, hear what academia is saying about it, see what culture is saying about it. And when Christians tell me prayer changes your brain, I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> well, I came across this research and the book is entitled How God Changes Your Brain, Breakthrough Findings from a Leading Neuroscientist. And guess what? He's not Christian. He's actually an atheist. And yet an atheist is saying, 
I don't believe in God, but what I do know is that prayer changes your brain. Dr. Newberg identified a couple of things that he discovered in his research, and I just want to give us the top three that I feel are practical handles in how to overcome and win the battle of our brain. Number one, if you're taking note, prayer changes our brain. Scientific research now shows that 12 minutes of prayer actually rewires your brain. In fact, within 12 minutes of prayer, prayer actually touches on a brain neuron circuit that specifically enhances our social awareness and empathy. So let's put this in practical terms. If you're experiencing anger, you know what happens? Anger is one of those isolating emotions because anger makes you want to separate from other people. It cuts you off. It destroys community. You know what prayer does? It touches on the part of your brain where you can find forgiveness. That's empathy and kindness. Prayer changes your brain. Number two, prayer encourages neuroplasticity. Again, our brain isn't fixed like a mold, it's nimble. And so scientists at one point thought that your brain stopped changing and growing around adolescence. But now what science is discovering is that the brain is constantly adapting and changing. It doesn't decay and erode, it actually gets better. Our brain begins to develop as we experience new things and adopt new behaviors. Behaviors like what? Reading your Bible, worshiping, praying, you are transforming your mind. And lastly, prayer affects our behavior. Because our brain constantly changes, we need to be mindful on whether we're developing good behavior or bad behavior. What are the patterns in our life? This is me taking a mental note every day, every week, every month, and every year. Prayer not only touches the heart of God, prayer changes our brain. And just as negative thoughts harm your brain, positive thoughts and even prayer heals your brain. Now, I want to say that I knew this, but intuitively, I just know that I'm a better person when I pray, okay? So I wake up at five and I work out at six o'clock from six to seven. And then at seven o'clock, I'm on our church-wide Zoom call. There's just a few of us that gather, but there's people from Florida, New Jersey, Sacramento, UK. And I love those Zoom calls. You want to know why? Because before I understood neuroplasticity and 12 minutes can change and rewire my brain, I realized that when I confess before the Lord that he is faithful to touch, when I'm angry, when I'm bitter, when I'm frustrated, that those moments of prayer, not just me praying, but listening to other people pray, was changing my mind. Now I had a workout at 6 a.m. for my body, then I had a workout at 7 a.m. for my faith. Also, that's open to any of y'all you wanna join us. Hey, rewire the neural pathways in your brain and it's free, all right? So here's the thing, me as a woman of God, me as a church leader, me as someone who loves the Bible and journals and prays and joins the 7 a.m. Zoom calls, why do I still worry? Why do I still have anxiety? Uh, why is Jesus' followers of ourselves in here why does our mind often race in irrational, chaotic ways? So we can take a look from science and take a look from scripture, but science will tell us that our amygdala is being hijacked. In those moments of worry, our little amygdala is trying to protect us and say, you're in trouble, you better take control, you gotta work harder, stay up until two o'clock in the morning and keep working and working and grinding and grinding because our amygdala is freaking out. So what happens is that this manifests anxiety in our body. What is anxiety? Anxiety is worry. What is worry? A sign to God that we do not trust him. That's what worry is. So our amygdala is saying, 
Your car payment is due and you have no money in your bank account. Your amygdala is saying, your ovaries are old and fried and you haven't gone on a date and you single like a Pringle ready to mingle. You haven't gone on a date since 2020. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, your dreams are slipping through your hands like grains of sand. You're sitting here thinking, I have a wayward child. I'm not in a relationship with them. And if they have a child, then my child's child's not gonna have a relationship with me. I'm not gonna be the favorite grandparent that's gonna give them the best gift. And then what happens when at Christmas time, when they go and hang out with the other favorite grandparents and when I'm old and in a convalescent home, they're not gonna come visit me. <gasps> You know what that is? Catastrophizing. Our amygdala is going crazy. Paul wants us to capture the thought and exchange it with truth. Paul wants us to put our prefrontal cortex up front. He wants our prefrontal cortex to be, hey, let's get control of the situation. Listen to what he told his friends at Philippi. Don't turn there, it's gonna be on the screen. For the note takers, it's Philippians 4.8. Paul says this, finally, brothers and sisters of the Father's House Orange County, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we go back to our anger passage in 2 Corinthians and we take captive all those negative thoughts and I'm going to think about good things. Now, this is not positive thinking, okay? I am no, I'm holding on to the lie that I've believed and I'm gonna fight this with truth. We have to get rid of our stinking thinking. And I said this, I said this in a message that was given three weeks ago. It was entitled, How to Overcome Anxiety, where my boy Peter, I love Peter. I have a crush on Paul, but Peter, he's cool. He's cool. We were friends. We were friends. I, I, I get him. I get him. And he said this. He said, to cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Does anyone remember why? Because he cares for you. Good answer. Like to the two people who knew that. Praise God. Yeah. So at some point, we're all going to have things that we get worried about. And I want to give us an, an example because I mentioned it while on video, but I want us to get a visual of it, okay? Because leave it to Peter, the fisherman, when he says, cast your cares upon the Lord, a fisherman would know the exertion needed to cast a line or to cast a fishernet. And so this is what I want us to do. I need us to know that when we get a negative thought, like, oh, I'm single and I'm never going to get married or my marriage sucks and I'm so tired of this, we get this negative thought thought and we think, oh, nothing's going to ever change. This is horrible. My marriage is going to be horrible forever or I'm going to be single. I take this thought and I say, God, you have loved me. God, you have fashioned me. I am whole and complete with or without a mate. And I cast my cares upon the Lord. Yes. What about maybe you are an entrepreneur, you're a business person, and you were like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. I don't know what's going to happen with the gas prices. I feel like I'm going to have to lay off people. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to, my business is going to go bust. I'm going to take this thought and said, from the foundations of the world, Lord, you have had my plan and my destiny set. You are the God who is not enough. You're the God who is more than enough. You are the God who has provided for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. You're the God who provided for the beggars in the New Testament. So I take my worry and I cast it to you, Lord. What about you? You're sitting here and you're like, oh, I really want that promotion, but it's the cute guy or the cute girl that's going to get it because there's favoritism. They go to happy hour. I'm not going to get my promotion. I take this and I say, man did not make me, man cannot break me. God has a plan for me. I'm going to take my thought. I'm going to cast it to the Lord. Yes. And this one's mine. This is mine. And I even put fake eyelashes on myself. God, I am not going to have healing. I will be sick and I will never go back to that person that I know is truly in me. I'm going to take this and I say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even thicky, thicky, thick. And the Lord is going to heal me from the inside out. So I take that and I cast it to the Lord. I think I'm going to hit the camera on my bed. When we do that, we say, take this, God. 
This is not mine to carry. Will you do me a favor? Will you say that? Take this, God. Say that again. Take this, God. I want you to actually do this. I want you to write down all of your worry, all of your fear, all your insecurity, all the things that keep you up at night or wake you up early in the morning. Now, this is an abdication. This is not saying, oh, well, God's got it. No, you have an exam. You have a test. You're going to study. You're going to prepare. You're going to use your three by five index cards. And then you're going to say, take this, Lord. Do you want to buy a house? Amazing. Cut up your credit cards. Live on a budget. And then you say, take this, Lord. You're worried about your marriage because your wife stinks or your husband has a bad attitude. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to write it down and then you're going to go to counseling. You're going to go to therapy. You're going to love them. You're going to chuck it over to the Lord and say, take this, Lord. This is not mine to carry. I trust the Lord because he cares for me. I trust the Lord because he cares for me. And I'm going to trust in God no matter what. I'm going to trust him because of who he is. I'm going to trust him because of his character. I'm going to trust him because of his nature. I'm going to trust him because he's good and he's kind and he's caring. I'm going to cast my cares upon the Lord because he cares for me. And no matter what, I get to look at God and say, because of your goodness, because of your promises, because of your love, I trust you. When I'm overwhelmed, I put my trust in you. I lay my anxiety down at your feet because you are the prince of peace and you can give me what I cannot manufacture or what I cannot buy. When my mind is racing and I feel like I'm dogging it, I'm going to run over to you, to your living waters, and you are going to fill my cup. I'm telling you this. I am learning this. I have not mastered this. I'm actually walking through this. But what I know is that I don't want to live hostage to my anxiety or to my fear, or to my depression, and I don't want to go alone. So I'm going to tell you what I'm learning, because we're going to do this together. Friends, I hope the Word of God has ministered not only to your heart, but to your mind as well. If you want more information about the Father's House Orange County, you can check us out or follow us on social media at TFH underscore OC for The Father's House Orange County. For more information, you can check out the website, tfhoc.org. And I can't wait to share part two with you next week.